to the Glitch Text Rewatch podcast. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger. And tonight we have another all-star lineup of all of your favorite cast and crew, and also some new folks. I'm so excited to have all of you here. We're going to be talking about Find the Glitch, which is an amazing episode. And if you guys haven't seen it yet, if this is the first time watching it with the podcast today, you're in for a treat because you're going to get to hear about the behind the scenes action of this episode from practically every department. So first I want to introduce Eric. Eric, hello. Welcome back to the show. Yay. I'm so excited to be back, especially with this amazing team that you put together. It's like Voltron, you know what I mean? Like all these amazing like people just formed an awesome podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love it. It's the Voltron of podcasts. And I know that everyone knows who you are, but just in case there's someone out there, somehow they found this podcast. Tell us what you do. Yes, I am the co-creator and co-executive producer with my main man, Dan Milano over there. <laughs> Say Hello, hi, sir. Dan. Come on. Hello, bring it in. Hello everyone. <laughs> Tis I, Dan Milano, here for another podcast. You should just do that voice the entire time. Either that I or I will. Don't tempt me, Angela. I will. <laughs> Many voices of Dan. Awesome. Awesome. So glad to have both of you here. This is rad. And then also we have returning guest Molly. Welcome back, Molly. Hey, Angela. Happy to be back. I'm excited to be here for this episode because this episode I still use as an example for how to cut things together and make it fun. <laughs> that is so great. So great. And tell the folks at home, what is it that you did on the show? I am a current series executive at Nickelodeon. So I got the, the joy of working on the executive side of Glitch Text. Wonderful. It, wonderful. We'll get into that. I mean, that it's so show. much funner and cooler than she always makes it out to be. She's this is like, so true. You know, because, um, you know, it, you know it'd be, I am part of the executive side. That's not true, Molly. You bring so Listen, much more I'm, life to that position. Okay. So you got to like straight up tell people. Yeah. How let's, often. let's say right now there's, there are, um, there are a couple different kind of executive executives we deal with in animation, but I can boil it down to two groups and there's no right or wrong about these groups. It's just differences. Both groups are good at the executive functioning of the job and all that, but one of them is also genuine fans of the product in a sense. So, you know, and Molly is somebody who loves animation, talks from the heart about animation, and it's wonderful to work with people like that because they can help find the balance because at the end of the day, we can't lead with our hearts and everything. It is a business and important decisions need to be made and there are a lot of different agendas to serve. But, you know, when you get a little mix of both, you don't want to lose either. You don't want to have somebody who doesn't appreciate what everyone does or what goals everybody's striving for. So that's my compliment to you, Molly, is execs like you and Megan Casey and Phil Rinda. A lot of people we've been lucky to work with just genuinely appreciate the medium. And that's why it's a pleasure to have you involved in this my sentence is over. It, it ended a while. Yeah. I kept talking. Seriously? I know. You had I it. Mean, and then, you know, we're all tired. 
We're <laughs> audience, we're all tired tonight. No, he's, we're uh, parents Dan's, and we teach school, some of us. Dan's absolutely <laughs> right. It's, uh, she, she brings like this. You uh, can't talk, Molly. Love. We're going to talk about you. <laughs> That's it. You had your chance, Molly. We're going to mansplain this. We didn't take it. We gave you the ball. So now we got to hype you up. And I'm going to Dan explain it and he's going to Eric explain it. <laughs> Truly, this uh, is why I do written notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, fun fact, I just feel like this is this is so part of the Glitch Tech's world is that Overwatch is actually taking most of my bandwidth right now in the other room. So I'm freezing <laughs> and I, I'm just excited that y'all are filling in the gap because I can't tell if anything is coming through. <laughs> also very game savvy, which was great for our show. <laughs> was it? Was it for the Easter eggs though? <laughs> <laughs> we will get into that. I want to hear this. There's story. plenty. <laughs> yes. And then also, we have a new guest on the show, the one and only Lisa. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Super happy to be here to talk about my favorite show to this day. <laughs> that is wonderful. And what is it that you did on the show? So, I was the series producer which is basically the responsible adult of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so I was lucky to be on it from the beginning. And so I helped uh, listen to Dan and Eric and get their, their hopes and dreams and put it on a schedule, put it on a budget <laughs> and shake my head a lot and say, okay, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> And that she did consistently. I mean, we gave her some of the biggest challenges to figure out and she was able to work it all out. She traveled all around the world with myself and Ian to make these things happen. It was good. It was a great experience. Yeah, still one of my favorite experiences. And then also producers, like we are there to support the team and to make sure that the show delivers on time, to make sure that the crew is you know, in a good work environment that everybody is, you know, we all are spending a lot of time. We've spent a lot of time at work. We put a lot of hard work into it. Everybody on the show was super invested. So we want to make sure everybody's doing good. Make sure everybody is feeling good, happy to come in and, you know, throw parties every once in a while. <laughs> but that yeah. Attitude and that diplomacy is so important because producer is responsible for the budget and how it's spent and coordinating with the studio. And really it is the job to parent the production. And then a lot of creators, if they detect that there's things they can't do, they can get sometimes like a chip on their shoulder as if somebody is fighting them. But really the producer is one of those people who is fighting for you, but responsibly. It's a relationship that uh, creative people really need to have and to really listen to and communication between the creative and the production end is just monumentally important because there can be a lot of ways to get to something and there can be a lot of approaches to a problem there can be a lot of approaches to solutions and compromises that can actually improve the show so it's important everybody kind of know that going in that this is going to be one of the most important relationships you could possibly have and to really understand each other's jobs and help each other get there and it, it rolls down from producers and showrunners and creators to everyone else on the production so you know to prevent that from being dysfunctional it's best to try to create as healthy a relationship as you can from the top and Lisa was really great from that from day one we never 
with every challenge we have, we never felt unsupported by her or by our, our EIC. See, yeah. I stopped. <laughs> you ran out of gas? You ran out of gas? <laughs> I made my point. Lisa, you brought up parties, and now all I can think of is that all my photo booth pictures from that rap party are at the studio still. Oh, no. Yeah. But I would say that I think the important part for if people are interested about producers is that you work for the company and you're placed on a series. And so it is important to build relationships with the team that you're working with because you still have to work for the company, you're still working for the network, and you have to find a balance of making sure the team feels supported, make sure that the creative gets their vision as close as possible, but also making sure that the network is getting what they need for deliveries and quality. And so you are kind of a middle person in that responsibility. So just trying to find a good balance to make sure everybody's supported. Now, thank you so much, Lisa. Glad to hear. And we'll be discussing more of that as the episode progresses today. And then we also have returning guest, Rachel. Welcome back, Rachel. Hello. Hi, I'm Rachel. I was the animatic editor on this episode. And I'm also the voice of the Gauntlet and Mika, Mika's big <laughs> sister. Wonderful, wonderful. So every time you hear those, you can go, I know that voice. I know who that is. And we'll Rachel also- Rachel is yes. awesome. Can we talk about Rachel for a minute then, please? Yeah. I mean, Rachel from day one in development, back when we were in development, Rachel was literally sitting outside of my office and Talk about having an awesome friend just right outside that you can always count on. Rachel was around. And when I was thinking of doing Scratch, the early days of the animatic, Rachel was so kind and she did this amazing voice. I thought it was just going to be like the Scratch voice, but out of nowhere, this amazing <laughs> voice came out of her mouth. And I was like, oh my gosh, do that voice again. And it was the gauntlet voice that we ended up just falling in love with. And we were like, oh my gosh, Rachel, you are going to be part of this series because I mean. It is very specific. Even when the casting department at first, they were like, well, guys, you know, you're probably going to want to replace that. And we assured them that we really did not. But again, you do need to be compromising. There are reasons why you might see if somebody who's cast in another role could do the voice because then they could do it as a utility voice because each actor can do up to three. So there are reasons you sort of explore in the process, but in the back of our minds, we were like, look, if we're going to have to, we're going to really have to push for this. But that never happened because even though we recorded some other people, we didn't have to fight. Casting was like, yeah, you're right. She, like, <laughs> nobody broken. comes close to what she's doing, <laughs> yeah. which is just this very natural thing and the adjustments she makes are really important because it's a voice that is very obviously calculated and computer-like but there are a lot of times we cheat it because we need the audience to feel something and we will ask if Rachel could slightly nudge us in that direction and if you're listening for it those are like really subtle adjustments that we would make so that was the other amazing thing is that she had this wonderful ear to to be responsive and make adjustments but also what was cool is we knew her just as our friend in the office who was tremendously supportive and when we had ideas before anyone else in the building heard them they got pitched to Rachel she came into Eric's office and we would talk with her about what we wanted to do and her support and her responses just kept us really motivated and it was cool every time we would advance in the process from the pitch to the you know animatics and things like that we would always sort of return to her. So she watched the thing grow from 
initial idea all the way to all the, the way. end of production. Yeah, it was cool because like she was in production. Uh, she was part of the development team at Nickelodeon. And then she went ahead and educated herself with editing, right? So, I mean, she went into editing and then literally just ended up getting a job as an editor, a full-time editor. And so as soon as we had a position open, we wanted Rachel so bad after she was wrapping up on Pinky and we had to have her. And thank goodness, with the help of Lisa and everybody else, we were able to get Rachel on our team. Full circle, first circle. That was it. It was awesome. That's amazing. Thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) How was that going from development to giving notes to becoming an animatic editor? That's really interesting. That's not a trajectory that you hear about a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, it was very, um, I guess, unorthodox. I don't know. It wasn't so much giving notes as much as it was like my friends were sharing this amazing thing they were working on with me. And it was just so exciting and fun. It was like always like a party to see it. And it was like, ah, it was just so cool to see it like grow. And I remember that one pitch that Eric was doing and you were like acting out this like metal scene. It was back when we had like the wizard in there. (laughs) And me and Dan were like headbanging. That's right. (laughs) While you were doing, it was so much fun. But yeah, the editor actually that was cutting the pilot was kind enough to train me in animatic editing and then kind of like switching gears and going into editing was completely different, but so much fun. And yeah, I don't know. It's definitely not like a very normal path, but I don't know. It was just so much fun. And I was surrounded by so many like supportive people that were really encouraging and it was the best. That's the thing. Yeah. Community and just kind of being open to trying different things and surrounding yourself with people that, you know, have something to share is so important. And there are a lot of people who don't actually end up where they think they will, but you just got to follow your gut and try stuff and see what sticks. Very true. Very true. And before the show too, Molly, you were mentioning that you and Rachel actually started as assistants at the same time, which is- Yeah, if if memories- serves back back long ago in, in the time before when I was the EA on the Loud House that's when Rachel was the assistant in the development department and when she would be staying late on premiere after work I feel like I remember sending you storyboard files <laughs> I remember when I first met Rachel being enamored by her because she's just the most enthusiastic delightful human who you will ever just encounter and like she was one of the first people I met at Nick and so I was like oh this is where I work these this is how people are I was a little disappointed to find out that Rachel is like the (laughs) best of the best and like it's all downhill downhill for Rachel and then there's all there's no one better it's true (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I miss the things I miss about, you know, being able to connect in in person as Rachel and I have very good, very good lunches now these these days. (laughs) Well, not these days, but in now that we've grown and changed and had totally different trajectories. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Aw, I love you guys so much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love this. It's like memory lane. This is wonderful. And then we also have... Miche, she Yay! has returned. She has Hooray. back. 
Welcome back. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. I like watch along parties, so I'm prepared. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we know you are. We know you are. And tell the fine folks at home, what do you do? Uh, so for Glitch Text, I was a background painter. And it's funny, I was thinking about how technically I was only there for season one. But the way that the episodes were moved around, technically, I'm in both seasons, so. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I worked on the whole thing. <laughs> that is yeah. fantastic. Yes. And so, yeah. So like we said at the beginning, we have folks in all stages of the production, which I love because it just gives a fully fleshed out picture of what it's like to create an episode. And what an episode. This episode it was a Herculean task. It's very impressive. It's very entertaining. There's so much going on with it. Dan, you were saying right before the show, and Rachel, you were saying this as well, that this episode has a lot of clips from previous episodes as the characters are talking about different things. And you mentioned that you guys were working from the raw storyboard footage. You weren't getting the animation back and then editing it. So you just had to just do the best you could and kind of just fly with that. So what was that process like? Cause that honestly to me sounds scary, but it turned out really, really well. I think normally, and, and I'll let Lisa kind of explain why we felt we should possibly do this to begin with. But um, I think typically clip shows are done very late in a run, very rarely for a season, except for some anime I can think of that will do it sometimes almost as a break between half of their season. And usually by that time, or if you're doing it, say, in the second or third season of a show, you can pull clips from all your previous episodes and assemble them like a puzzle. Well, unfortunately, we were still producing season one. So we really didn't have any animation back except maybe for the first couple episodes. So the entire thing had to be assembled from animatics, which meant and timing and a lot of subtleties change in final animation. Final cuts of episodes may mean that certain shots get moved around or eliminated. So we had no idea if this extremely surgical cut would match what was going to be coming later with the actual footage. And we didn't have time to really worry about that. It just had to do it. And that made it so challenging. And for Rachel, it was pretty thankless. And, and, and Hyunju Song, who directed this episode too, the two of them were like, we're doing what now? Yeah. <laughs> I think we all kind of were like, we're doing what now? <laughs> yeah. This was like, I mean, scary. <laughs> to say it like blunt, this was a scary experiment because, you know, normally we tell stories like, you know, right, here's the, the characters, here's the setup, here's where it's going. This one was like, oh man, what is this gonna end up being? And definitely Dan was like, uh, I'm gonna just put on these surgical gloves and just start putting pieces together. And it was a huge experiment. And Rachel, bless you for <laughs> putting this together. But Lisa can tell you more on why we ended up with this episode. And I think it's pretty obvious. Most episodes like this, it has to do with like, hey, either we don't have the money, there's a budget, whatever the issue is, there's always an issue why these types of shows exist or these specific kind of shows exist. But I think what Dan had in mind with Ian and once we all kind of started talking, it started coming together, but it was 
a very scary situation, especially for me, because I'm so used to like, you know, from point A to point Z, right, with story. And this one was such a kind of all over the place, but I love how we were still able to keep the integrity of a really strong story with all this craziness in between. And again, Dan definitely had this kind of like idea of how we can piece these things together, but it was pretty insane. And I, you know, I gotta say my gut was pretty tight throughout the entire, <laughs> the entirety of this one. It's true. Rachel, what are your memories of when this whole mess first landed in your lap? I remember at first being terribly confused because I was like, oh, what are we going to use, guys? You know, But it was so different than any other clip show ever. Like it had such a story and like it didn't feel like here's a little bit of dialogue. Cut to remember when and then it cuts to like, you know, a memory in another episode. It was all so integrated. And it was really scary at first, but you, Dan, and Eric gave us like, oh, we could cut to this. You knew the episode. You knew around when in the episode you wanted certain clips to come from. And then you had like all these amazing ideas for like recutting audio from different episodes. So like gathering different moments from different characters. So it had like a really good structure and a lot of direction, which was really nice. But it was a lot of super fun sessions. I feel like that's when we got to really work closely together on the edit was on this one, especially we would just be in like the room for hours, just trying out different things, writing things in there. It was so much fun and chaotic and crazy. And it ended up being one of my favorite episodes. It was scary fun that there'd be like a hole that needed to be filled or gaps that needed to be bridged with logic, with a piece of dialogue, and then then Rachel would just have a microphone open and we would scratch dialogue and try to fit it in. She would do dialogue, I would do dialogue. We'd pull people from outside to come in and do dialogue to just help us see if the pieces could fit. And then there was this constant homework where, oh, I think, you know, maybe we need to do a sequence where we're going to pull a lot of Mitch clips. And so then it would be like, all right, Rachel's going to go in and She's going to find all the Mitch clips she can find. And then meanwhile, some of us would go and write down clips that we could think of. So, you know, if she didn't already pull them, then maybe we'd pull those. And But it was kind of crazy. You just had to say, all right, I'm going to put all this stuff in a, in a trim bin somewhere, and then we're going to figure out how to piece it together. Because it's one thing if you did just want to Uh, And it would be hard enough to do the, hey, remember when blank? And then you do that. But then, of course, we complicate everything by saying, well, let's deconstruct what a clip show is. And then we'll do like, you know, (laughs) we'll do this really insane version of a clip show so as not to fall into the trappings of a typical clip show. And so that was a fun challenge, but made it all the more insane. Again, Lisa, this will set you up, but we only had a certain amount of new animation we could use for this episode. And that's where the problem was. It was like, if we wanted the show to look as good as it does and continue to have that quality of animation that we had, it's almost like we almost had to execute when it felt like, right? But we took that idea to execute and turned it into a positive saying, like, how can we make the best episode regardless of the limitation of animation? Right. Execute meaning like, oh, we have four episodes left, but only enough animation studio power. It was less about money and more about power. I mean, it always can be boiled down to money. 
but it was also about energy. We working with the studio that we needed to support by not challenging so insanely every moment. So do we weaken all the episodes or do we take one that sort of is removed from the equation so that the others can flourish? And then it became, well, how do we do that and not hurt anything? How do we still have an entertaining show? So Lisa, the how did we do it? It's the creative <laughs> domino effect of starting the series with a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, that's yeah. right. Going, well, that's the base level. We need to get better every time. That was always the <laughs> mantra. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, go glitch text. <laughs> yeah, this episode, from the moment I heard it, I was terrified <laughs> and I knew about it about a year out. <laughs> yep. That's right. So yeah, I mean, I think clip shows, I mean, I happen to be like, I watch animation, I follow series and clip shows, you get to them and you're like, womp, womp, typically. So I was a little bit bummed out because I'm like, oh, but I also believed in Dan and Eric and our awesome team, but we were working with two studios, doing two different things for the production. So trying to coordinate that, planning for an episode at just to echo Dan and Eric, where you're hoping episodes come back in on time and you're hoping records go well. And yeah, I mean, it's just, again, just working with the studios, trying to hit very aggressive deadlines because we're all passionate about this project and we wanted to see it on screen. So you have to hit those deadlines. And so early on, we knew in order to set up all the episodes, as Dan was saying, we had to make a scary choice to take most of the animation away from one of the studios and just have them really focus on key points so that we could keep production moving and hit all of our delivery dates for Netflix so we could have it on. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was scary. I was following animation the entirety of it until it got to post. I was prepping post a year out, just, hey, we got a clip show coming. I'm working with Dan and Ian to make sure that the footage that we were pulling, we would actually have. And then making sure the studios were actually, because also one of the challenges is that we were const not constantly, but we did rearrange episodes a few times just yeah. to make sure that again, we could hit dates and also comedy and action in a 22 minute is aggressive for any studio. And so trying to give the studios a breath as well. So we would try to take some of the, not that there was, I mean, they're all very action packed, but there were some that had a little bit less action. So we would try to bookend the episodes to make sure that we can maintain the pace and the deliveries. And so having to track that again, like, okay, wait, we just flipped these episodes. Are we going to have that? Oh, wait, that is now in... <laughs> I was watching that episode closely for <laughs> quite a while. And then also it was cool though too for me because I would see things that I'd never seen in any of the episodes. I'd be like, what's that for? And they'd be like, oh, find the glitch. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like random pictures. Like, oh, that's, you know, Phil thought that would be funny. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but never really seeing it come together until, you know, the final product. So yeah, it was awesome. It was challenging. It, but I will say, I just am such a fan of this episode too, and it's probably one of my favorite. And even though it is essentially like a clip show, like it doesn't feel like a clip show. It's just so much fresh content and the way that it's set up, it's a great episode. And you wouldn't have thought about, it was one that was meant to save delivery dates. 
it's the best example of trying to compromise and not just stamp feet because you know again when somebody says look i think we're gonna have to make some hard choices in order to get through the whole production period and you could start yelling or complaining or being upset or you can just say like well how can we creatively solve the problem how can we try to take this and make the best out of it and one of the things was literally writing down a list of things that we hated about clip shows and then trying to address those things point by point to see how could we go the other way how could we make the liability an asset how could we make the clips not just seem boring reassembled things you've already seen we're going to put them together so that we're using them in a new way that you haven't seen before clip shows are disposable because they never have anything to do with like the story and we were a show that had had to hold back a little bit on its major arc and people knew at this point we hadn't really talked very much about Miko or what was going on with Miko so it was like all right well this is going to be about that this is going to be an episode you shouldn't skip because we're going to finally start talking about what might be going on with Miko stuff like that and the last component of it really was also this idea of what has become culturally known as YouTube poop that now that people have home editing systems in the palm of their hand and a lot of us like to recut things from our favorite TV shows. There is this content on the internet. And since our kids are contemporary kids and users of tech, what would they do if they had this access to this equipment? So the idea that like you're watching montages kind of made by the characters gave it so much personality. And that was the concept a lot of people had to trust because folks who hadn't seen examples of what these videos would be, it just sounded insane and it looked even more insane. And it wasn't until people started watching the assemblies and laughing and we started to pick up good buzz that everyone started to feel like, okay, this might, this might work. And the audience has responded really positively to it, which I'm glad for, but it was scary because there was a big generation gap that we were counting on. Wonderful. It works out so well too, because it, like you guys said, it doesn't feel like a regular clip show and it's because you included a through line for the plot there's new information there's a new mystery that's added to it and you guys were able to weave in character development which is not a thing that you see in clip shows clip shows tend to be here are the clips hooray audience cheers audience can laughter okay everybody goes home and this was no we're gonna have this be there's a purpose to this they're watching all of these clips on purpose and how they got the clips is explained too very well. And we're going to get into that. So now we're going to get into the synopsis of the episode from Netflix. So find the glitch while gathered together to play a deduction game. The glitch text begin to wonder if there's a glitch pretending to be human among them. Very scary. Yes. So audience members or listeners, I should say at home, because this is an audio podcast. So we have season two, episode six, Find the Glitch, queued up in Netflix, set at the zero, zero, zero mark. So at the count of three, not before, not after, right on three, I'll push play and everyone at home can watch together. All right, so here we go. One, two, three. Lovely Netflix logo there. Let's play Find Miche's BG Shots because oh, BG paintings. Lovely. Because 
there's got to be so many in here. I would hope, I would think. I like this thing. You guys were talking about the complicated, you know, aspect of the show. And I remember for this one, it was so easy because it was all done already. So we only got one BG. That's right. And it was great for us. That's right. The black void certainly helped (laughs) production-wise. You know, it's very minimalist. And yet we had no idea the game Among Us was in development. A lot of people thought we were using Among Us, which is about trying to fight it find a traitor. It's very color-coded. It's very claustrophobic. And the design in this episode kind of reflects that game. But I have to say, I mean, it was just a coincidence. The thing that we actually based the show on or that I had thought of was from the original Star Trek. And when I got to talking and got to know Nietzsche really well. I realized she was a fan of the original Star Trek as well. And that was a big influence on Glitch Techs. They famously had also hit a situation where they were behind, needed to make up an episode. And they did a two-part episode where they recycled footage from an unaired pilot in an episode where they put one of the characters on trial for mutiny. And everyone is looking at footage of their behavior in this, in clips from another episode in order to like determine their guilt. So that the idea itself and the situation in which it was created was lifted from like 1960s television. And the last I'll say before turning it over is that this concept of find the glitch was actually pitched in the writer's room and it was Donnie Miacheli and Ashley Birch, who together really said, hey, what if they're all playing a game? And it's like, you know, Ultimate Werewolf, or there are a lot of games where somebody is like a secret betrayer. And what if at some point there was the feeling that it was no longer a game and somebody was really an imposter? And thank God for them, because that gave us a first act. And it gave us a tonal change where just when you think this is going to be a typical clip show where everyone just looks at, remembers when, things change. And from that point forward, the show has a very different tone. Man, some of that aren't even clips. It's just Phil Jacobson being (laughs) awesome. Like (laughs) his original pour, it's like uncut. Yeah, very, very good. I also like the, the Trivial Pursuit pieces above yes, this, the this wedges. happened a little bit sooner, yeah. but I love that everyone just ganged up on Bergy and poor Bergy he goes I'm I'm clearly not it I'm innocent like, <laughs> and this is fun this all all black room and now now it's really serious and they realize oh wait okay this is this is a super serious situation here yeah if necessity is the mother of invention boy we had big mama on this one because we needed a minimalist sensibility and it's gorgeous and we made it not have produced it this way otherwise, but we love it now. It's hard to imagine it any other way. This is one of those examples where Dan and Eric and Ian wanted us to just pull all the like cute, fun, really showcasey character moments for five for bits like this, where it's like showing their character and it just, it works so well. 
five bits, Miko bits. Thank mm -hmm. goodness we crammed so much content into this show where every 22 minute episode had like <laughs> 44 minutes worth of story and gags <laughs> because there was so much to mine from, thank goodness. Also the setup is really good too because the other problem with clip shows is they're talking about things and you're, you know, as an audience member, you understand why you would be seeing it, seeing it from that angle. But as the characters, you're looking at it going, well, you wouldn't be looking at it that way. And so I like that they said, no, it's the gauntlets. It's AR. It's 360. This is why we can watch it this way. And it's like, oh, that's a good explanation for this. It's not just a thing, you know? Funnily enough, we always we had talked about the idea that the gauntlets might record 360 degree footage. It was for another purpose than this, but we realized that we could use that concept here. And just as, you know, Star Trek justified showing TV footage because the computer on the ship, its cameras recorded everything. And so that also had kind of an in-world explanation, and we wanted to do that too, to make it part of our sci-fi story. The difference is when you see people watching footage of themselves on TV, you want them to acknowledge like, why are they zooming in? And like, why does it look like a TV show? Like yeah. weird stuff that breaks the fourth wall. So we kind of wanted to do that. We wanted the kids to be like, hold on, this is amazing. We can see ourselves, mm -hmm. you know? And, and that's what made it, funny in a way too because who wants to sit there and just stare at footage when you can just start messing with it yeah that is a good point it's like why is my life suddenly a multi-cam show how did this happen yeah people never acknowledge it in most shows yeah and i do have to acknowledge the moments past but just the bit with mitch and farts yeah is really great <laughs> because he's so serious and so into him being awesome that I love yeah you're awesome but also farts just, yep. just take you down a peg you know just relax my dude come on it was fun to lean into that because we were pretty we tried to be pretty highbrow about most of our gags and we were like yeah but you know Miko wouldn't be yeah. and if you're gonna be a kid and mess around like and it was such a great excuse to do it And Rachel, you cut the fart sequence, remember? I did. It was so fun. We were just giggling the whole time. We were it's just like, looking for the most epic, like, okay, this is the most epic that Mitch has ever been. Insert fart here. <laughs> the poses lend themselves so well to it. Yeah, it was oddly really perfect. <laughs> and I remember there were like specific farts that you guys wanted in the temp and we were just so dissatisfied with the <laughs> range of farts. We needed better fart range. Yeah. Like we're, we're a cartoon. Come on. There needs to be just an entire library of farts. Well, we also have fart policies that are worth, you know, noting. We try to keep them short and sweet. Are you serious? You're not, the network. You're, you're not making yeah. this up. This is a real <laughs> thing. That's it's a real most, thing. You have the best job, Molly. You're like, I <laughs> am the fart monitor. That's awesome. Every I show know, I've worked I... on, we get network fart notes. <laughs> like, oh, this one's too juicy. Like you protected us here. <laughs> like, these are pretty big offenders, some of these. I mean, but it's Mitch. It's different. Like, and you know Miko would pick like the weirdest fart she could. 
Well, and you see, so then, yes, when you make it about context, which is obviously so important, that changes it too, because it's to say, well, you know, this isn't just someone farting a wet fart. This is a context where a kid has created this situation. I guess Bit just has a really good fart library and a really good sense of editing. <laughs> but again, there's a motivation behind it, which is what you can use to justify these things. Did Mark or Scott do the chibi characters? Was it Mark? I believe it was Mark. Yep, mm -hmm. because he had initially done some chibis in another episode, oh, and we wanted more, 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 more. Yeah, those are so great. I wear that hat everywhere. Me too. <laughs> a little chibi hat. We were I originally peeled off my sticker and put re put it onto different places. Me too. <laughs> That's where the little van came from. Yeah, Mark and Scott. Originally, we were just going to have voiceover, but obviously there was no visual component to that. And Ian Graham suggested doing like a mystery science theater style layover, which is why in some of the shots you actually see behind their heads looking at the screen. But that was a little too static. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, it was his idea to try using these chibis. And when we saw they worked, it was like, Mark, we need chibis of every character. And can you do <laughs> multiple poses so that we could, we could, you know, again, this wasn't traditionally animated. It was more a post effect to put them up and cut from maybe one expression to another, which is not animated, but gives you a sense of attitude change. Like I think Bergie's about to do here. Yeah. Oh, poor yeah. Bergie. <laughs> Bergie's just having the feels. Bergie's just being Bergie, mm -hmm. doing Bergie things. So every character got a montage. Originally it was just the three mains and then we realized oh that's not filling enough time uh, we, we're really gonna have to cast the blame a little wider here which i'm glad oh dan you just jogged my memory now i'm remembering that first animatic was a, a hair short i believe yes yes <laughs> it was a lot of but there will be more but there is. yeah the good news is the premise seems to be working bad news we're shy about like six minutes um. <laughs> I love that you guys basically just turned into like family ties, perfect strangers, full house, opening 80s television show. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Showing my age here. And yet it seems to translate, thanks to streaming, it translates pretty well to, to uh, younger audiences because, you know, especially with shows like Full House. Even with the font, even just the font change is Oh, great. yeah. You picked that <laughs> font, right, Rachel? You found that? Yeah, we found a pretty good like default font in Premiere. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, Nick. <laughs> oh yeah, Nick. <laughs> oh, so great example. We're just looking to fill time. Let's do this theme idea. And Rachel's like, do we have a song? I don't think we have a song. So I had to like, run to my office, write some lyrics, come back to her, open up the microphone and just start singing in the editing room. <laughs> Whereas for the the glitch song that comes later, we knew ahead of time that we might need some big help here. So we pulled a bunch of clips of people saying glitch and we sent it to um, uh, our composer, Brad Breek and, and, and just gave him a warning. Hey, we're gonna wanna do this, this song if you could start thinking about it. And he made the entire glitch song, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And here comes the uh, YouTube poop that you guys were talking about earlier which I love. It's like, we're just going to insert all the things. 
all the things going on. Yeah, but honestly, this is this is my go-to for anyone on any like YouTube team. I'm like, oh, you're making content. Can you do something like this with clips (laughs) from our shows? Because this is great. Like, it's fun. It feels like something kids like. Because I remember that was the pitch too that Dan kept doing. When (laughs) I just remember Dan telling me and Megan, "Don't worry, this is gonna work. This is gonna work. This is gonna be great." But it was this like we want to do what kids are doing with video editing on YouTube. Like we want to reflect what the audience does. And that was kind of, that was enough of a sales pitch to me that it's like, oh, the audience would be able to do this. When you watch these, it's fun because not only is it absurdist humor, I mean, actual YouTube poop, not just this, but you can also see people are just learning the software. They're like, oh, here's what happens when I comp, you know, an image in. Here's what happens when I reverse and and go forward again. So it's kind of fun. You just realize people are, are kind of learning the tools at the expense of their, of their audience and it creates just absurd comedy. AJ Lacascio, who's a good friend of the production also used to cut stuff like this for an online uh, streaming service and, and advised us tremendously on the kinds of things that we might do. Uh, he even showed us a couple things he's just continued to be such a good friend of our show. It's funny too, because a lot of stuff just works for this kind of thing. And I know that was not you guys' original intent, but just watching all of it cut together like this, it's like, wow. I mean, it actually, it feels like you guys animated a lot of it like this on purpose for these types of clips. It's like, it just works out really well. It's fortunate, I think it's a very, rhythmic show the images the dialogue like everything about the show does there's a lot of rhythm to it and so yeah it felt real good to just find things that shared a pace molly i feel like i stepped over what you were about to say what were you about to say Uh, it was just something lame about me making this my ringtone don't worry it was (laughs) nothing that's awesome Nothing behind the scenes, nothing cool. I'm just going to be trolling the servers, trying to find the original sound for this episode. Oh, please. Pull it. Oh, Don't worry, it's fine. yeah. Do it. You have to come across it. Please send it our way. Please, please um, share. That's amazing. I, I will not be doing that, Rachel. Oh, <laughs> yes, never do that, Molly. No, no sorry, sorry. And no, thank you in advance. <laughs> was- I, will, I will say, though, from a production point, this, I can look at it back. I can look back now and be like, oh, it's, you know, everything was cool. But at the time, like, I just kept getting bills <laughs> for like songs <laughs> and voice recordings and extra freelance. And I'm like, this is supposed to be a clip show. <laughs> wait a minute. Where's all these expenses I'm like, wait, from? we got two, three songs in this? And it's like, oh, yeah, Dan just had this idea. I was like, okay. <laughs> Dan's trying Sorry, to fill Lisa. time. I'm like, Dan, stop it. <laughs> it's like, wait, what, where are the actual clips? More time it, looks to amazing. it looks amazing. It's all fine. But at the time, I was like. <laughs> it's true. We've said in other episodes, Lisa, that like some of our most insane episodes were supposed to be like, uh, you know, a bottle show. Like, yeah. oh, this one's going to be simple. And then at some point it would go off the rails because if one person if one department was responsible another department couldn't help themselves and everyone gave 300 percent. so even when you pulled it back it was still 200 and (laughs) you know it was just 
I think that by the end of what we were producing, we really started to find a much better balance and had kind of calmed down and felt we proved ourselves and learned, learned a lot. But man, yeah, it's, it's just so ambitious in everything it does. And it was always insane. Yeah, I think it was this one where I was like, are, are we writing any more songs, Dan? Are we good? Is that enough with the songs? <laughs> it's like our last one to deliver. <laughs> what was great about the songs is that they, they filled the time. So the slower you could sing that like sitcom song and everything, the better. And Brad kept the glitch edit going by having each character change the style of the song, which was such a great idea. But yes, that all added up to... <laughs> many expenses and then of course we did have to bring everyone back in to record revisions of all this dialogue the narration type dialogue so that it would tie together if you notice like mitch accuses five more than once in this episode and that's because once wasn't enough to fill the time oh i like it's like the hidden scene behind the scene i thought you were about to say because mitch is secretly jealous and he has a grudge it's like nope nope time filler it's such a great reveal that Mitch basically is just he can't find he can't justify why Miko's so amazing but he's giving her the ultimate compliment really and you know it was important to us to sort of disprove Miko as as superhuman but to acknowledge that Mitch sees her that way which is the ultimate compliment he can really give in his own Mitchy way yep even if it's subconscious even if he doesn't realize that's what he's doing yeah he makes a good case against her i remember uh, getting chills at this part like after we got it cut together for the first time hmm. it was the, just, the oh, accusation whoa. yeah and i was like is miko a glitch yeah man why does well, yeah, then there was, a terrible person <laughs> there's all the end setup that I really like jumping ahead when I come join you on this podcast. <laughs> but when we get to the end, there's that thing. Hey, go for it. <laughs> the it, audience should know um, by now. But it is that like that moment where you're setting up Inspector Seven and, and on the, the last episode when we were chatting with Eric, we were talking about the episodes that kind of got swapped out, but without a spoiler-free version of that. So there was this whole setup that this episode was serving to be part of in in this arc and that's right building that into this arc of like setting up a bigger bad potentially who yeah. knows is <laughs> what made this interesting to me from that kind of creative standpoint and bigger than just a clip show yeah also there like were much bigger stakes i felt like this was so rude <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, come on, y'all, like, look at Meeks. Yeah, it's like you fought together, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Mitch, the terrible person here who's always rude to us, he does make a good point. It's Miko. It's like, wow, you guys. Mitch knows it's what everybody's thinking, and he's just, he's, he's going to be the one to go there. We tried to justify it with some genuine paranoia. You know, and to talk about that, it's a little manipulative that I think everybody seemingly starts to come around to his way of thinking. I don't know genuinely that every character would make that leap, if we're being honest, but we needed, we needed it to feel that way cinematically. At least for the moment, we had to have everybody think, could she be? And then 
how five reacts to that, you know, became the heart of the episode. It is always about the relationship of these two, I think, at the heart of everything. And, you know, an acceptance, open-hearted acceptance. And that's why I love this show. I think you feel it on every level that it's in the DNA of the show. He shows he's a good friend, which is very, very important. Yeah. At the end of the day, they all, they all seem to like know what's important. And that's the idealism of the show. It was the kind of people we want to see in the world. So we try to represent it. Miche, like um, when you were doing this background now, um, what made you choose Deep Black? <laughs> well, <laughs> shades okay. of black are there. Plot twist: I didn't do this background. Actually, like I did, yes. like the one VG that we had to make. I think it was Susan that got it, and we oh, yes. all just went ahead to the next episode, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> what is one of your favorite BGs that you've done for the series? Oh man, I think. I think, and it's funny because it's in the intro. It's like that, you know, the glitch thing that happened, like, tip, tip, you know, and yes. like the camera like zooms out. Like those two, I, I worked on, and it's, I don't know. It's exciting that they got to stay on. So and you see it so it. much. That's awesome. I know they're in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so Betsy Sodaro as Inspector Seven, who nobody had seen since episode three or four or two I don't know it depends on whether you watched it on Netflix or not our order was slightly different not very slightly different and she's just so much fun the Bolipius arc is something people have speculated about and talked about you know online quite a bit and people are starting to figure some of it out a little bit but they certainly have not figured out all of it it was a um, it was a very layered story that still will hopefully be told, and we hope to reveal it someday. That is very true. Yeah, and I love I love her glasses. I love the anime sheen on her glasses. We were just going, "You are lying. I don't know exactly what all your lie is, but you are clearly not <laughs> telling the truth. I do not trust you. I don't care if you're smiling at everybody. Something is up here." There are definitely secrets at Hanobi, obviously, but the show's also a satire. So there's a lot of things going on. I don't want to say any more than that, but people pull <laughs> a lot out of me online. Uh, all I can say is we're really proud of the response to that one. We felt great about it to get feedback from most people that they really enjoyed it, especially when they were cynical about it. It was like so cool. And one or two people have recognized that there's one shot in there that was not from a previous episode. Um, there's only, do you remember what it is, Rachel? There's just one shot that was like from an episode that comes after this. <gasps> I don't remember. What shot was it? <laughs> when we started oh, well, showing, I got it. what is it? Is, is it the one of, is it the, I thought the Mitch, the, the Mitch and his siblings episode came after this. My bad, my bad. Close. It, it's a very emotional, it's an emotional one. Because when I think of that episode, I think of like 
emotions, but it involves it involves a relationship on the show between a manager and an employee. <laughs> oh, is it the scene where Phil and Bit are hugging? Yeah. Where they have a little hug. Mm-hmm. Hug oh, yeah. <laughs> That's Aww. right. Oh, I'm just trying. I'm like, my brain is doing the thing where it's like, well, according to the original delivery schedule at the time that this was made, um, I'm not entirely certain that that is, like, I don't know what my brain is doing. <laughs> well, it's I true. So, fantastic. You just have comic book guy just in your head. Bit Prime I, I am was produced guy. earlier. Bit, Bit yes. Prime was produced before, and that's why it was originally used. And then when we moved things around, we had to just, we had to do that because we weren't able to air all of our episodes and we had to make certain choices to pull up some other episodes from later from the later order we had begun producing long story short that episode did not come before but you know it was like such an emotional shot in a montage about the human glitch relationship and i had managed to replace a lot of clips. It ultimately became my job in post to replace the few clips that needed to be pulled due to order or whatever, because by then we were no longer in production and working with animatics. And that was the one shot I couldn't find an equivalent for. And I remember coming to you, Molly, and I think just flat out saying that, just saying like, this is an emotional beat I can only get from this clip. And I think we're just going to have to own that you know, like that it's a, See, truly, it's an aberration. Now, now I'm doubling down on on feeling the the pain inside on not remembering. Uh, <laughs> it's like there were other episodes. I don't know. I don't. Oh know. God, the show. The, the, <laughs> to remember the minute details of all these things is got to be pretty tricky. But I remember it because I felt trapped that I had no other recourse. I and I felt I had to make a case for it. But I think that's how we try to approach everything. You try to have rules for your show. You try to stick to those rules. We really wanted glitch text to feel grounded and slightly harder sci-fi than maybe most animated series. But it it is a cartoon and it is fun. And at the end of the day, sometimes you also have to let certain things go in favor of more cinematic things. So at the end of the day, if, if it's more important to be consistent or to make the audience feel something, the call was to like, you know go for that feel above all else so i mean it's manipulative but that's what um <laughs> movies and television are is, that's I mean, the art form that's like that's like all visual and like written media though that's that's it's like we want yeah you, to you gotta be i mean come on so we want you to feel good we need that shot yeah we need people it's to funny, cry though we talk about that all the time when we're like doing promos like you uh-huh. even if like the the glass of wine is thrown in the face at the end of the episode of real housewives or whatever that's what's going to be in the commercial every time and you're going to watch the whole episode until that 30th minute where the glass of wine gets thrown in the face yeah knowing mm-hmm. it's coming right yeah like, yeah what so... was the argument that led to this i need to know <laughs> when is phil ever hugging bit you know because yep. you know that he would because it's like that's his little buddy he loves his little buddy so you can imagine pie like hugs and like eats donuts with him every day that's just their thing, people you know? realizing that phil was sweet as the show went on and people realizing that mitch was um that there was just more to him let's say it was really cool to like for everyone to kind of see like because a lot of people 
hated that character in the beginning, but then saw more of him and they like they softened on him over time. That's really cool. And to think that you know who Phil is only to learn more about him is really great. And, you know, if we get the chance to do more stories, we have lots more about Phil. So, you know, we have faith, we're hanging in there. Life is long and these days, everything comes back. It's just a matter of months or years, but it all comes around again. <laughs> This is, this is not an industry that's shy about reviving <laughs> oh, its <no>. franchises. So <laughs> I listen to enough uh, movie and television podcasts where every day it's like, so they're going to do a new thing in this. It's like, they just did that a year ago. Now they're going to reboot it again. It's like, all yep. right. Yep. Yeah. More Voltron, Com anyone? Yeah. Uh, it's well, comics too. Comics is like, that's a tough thing about, I guess, sidebar, but tough thing about like watching, you know, reading comics or watching certain shows. If a character dies, it's like, well, they're going to come back right, in another right. form. With yep. another costume. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Yep. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse to know that things are not really finite. So anyway, I yeah, I couldn't be prouder of this one. It became a favorite of everybody. But I always feel we have to apologize to anyone and everyone who worked for us as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is a wonderful episode. We love you all, but also we're so sorry. <laughs> also the, the pain, the pain. You'll love no, it when you see it. You'll be so proud. No, but it's just cool hearing because I'm just imagining, I'm imagining the breakdown spreadsheet file maker. I'm imagining the notes. I'm imagining clips. I'm just imagining all the assembling going, oh, oh Emma and Rachel and, and Katie. Yeah. And all, like everyone having to track this down is just a nightmare. But it works. I, I just had like the moment where my heart just clenched itself thinking about what it would have been like to make a key sheet for this episode. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I don't even know what you do with that. You just go, I, I guess. Are we counting this half a second as a scene? What's um, a key sheet for the yeah, audience? Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. So, it's like you can tell people what this is. This magical I'm thing. Like, as my eyes start rolling back into my head, a key <laughs> sheet is where you break down an episode based on what location it's in, and you list every single prop, character, BG, etc., that are used in it, and it's to help the animation studio. So, I know though that for this particularly, the production team was tracking and labeling the exact scenes that were being pulled from each because it was labeled in the animatic and they had that listing so they'd be able to help pull that animation when it came time to get it for post but it also like i my heart is with rachel and the team because i know that our animatics had a sometimes every once in a while would run long initially. <laughs> so if you're cutting off of animatics, you don't necessarily know if that's going to be <laughs> Exactly, the numbers didn't necessarily line up. And so it wasn't as simple as following the code and pulling the shot. It was like not approximate. And we tried to help as much as possible. In fact, I know Ralph Yusbio who cut picture we actually wrote him a very specific sheet, but he was so panicked, he didn't even know he had it. And he started trying to do it all by scratch. And it was about, it was around the time he called to say, 
I think I'm going to be a little, I need a little more time guys. And we were like, well, did you look at the sheet? And he's like, the what? We're like, oh my yeah. God, no, we're, we, 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 he, he wasn't used to the fact that somebody was going to be A, to do this kind of cut and B, that we actually cared enough about him that we were trying to help that we, we had oh. given him materials you know he, so he just figured that he was gonna have to sort it out and we're like no 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 look we have code for you on a lot of these changes and but it was so much to track don't forget those shots came from at that point three different animation studios as well it made for interesting yes. retakes <laughs> yeah because we were like who do we send it to <laughs> yep yeah if we need to a retake right Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I mean, Ralph is up there too with one of one of the first people I met at Nickelodeon and one of my favorite humans on the planet. He's just so kind and lovely and very, he's just a very chill guy. Yeah. So he wants to get stuff done and then it's like getting something like this. I could just imagine his face like the second the, the door to his, uh, his, I was going to say booth. Now I can't even remember where anyone goes. Uh, when they edit things. But like, I can just imagine the door closing and just looking at it and just, you know, <laughs> reacting. He's so good. I mean, all we could do is all just try to help let everybody know how much we appreciated it and do whatever we could to help them get it done. Cause it was just such a insane and unusual job. And thankfully everybody had, a great attitude about it, you know, and everybody seemed to appreciate that there was something special to it, which is great. So, yep, this one's for you, Ralph. We gotta get him on and talk to him as well, because he had a pretty great time. He definitely enjoyed the show and had a lot of suggestions and things as well. So it's it's also great that everybody gets to have a certain amount of input because that genuinely, I think, creates a lot of morale as well. Miche, something I want to know about painting is that you're given a palette to work with, but is there a degree of freedom that you have as well to bring a sensibility to what you're doing with the backgrounds? Oh yeah, for sure. I think Scott was such an amazing art director. He, I mean, handpicked us to be part of the show and just trusted us to do, you know, like just, he would just make the, the color keys. And from there on, he would just be like, I know you can do it. And I know that you can do it right to the point where he gets it and just like, you know, maybe does a little tweaks like, you know, here and there and just approves it completely. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty easy. It was really hard at first. I will say that, <laughs> but eventually it did. I don't know. It just. What was daunting about it? What, what about it at, at first was the overwhelming part? The files were huge. It was so scary. I had a lot of close calls where I had what is it the the beach ball of death where my computer oh, wasn't no. responding. Oh right. <laughs> and I think I think none of us lost a file or maybe came close to losing a file. But it was scary. Every time it happened, we were like, "Please, for the love of God, like, like, like send a prayer for anybody." Um, An offering but, to the gods of Macintosh. It's like, yeah. do not let this die. Yeah. Do not let this get corrupted. Don't have it come back. And it's like, there's just one, one layer, just one. The very first one you ever did. You're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I guess that was it, though. I think it was just there was just so many layers and you know, the textures, like knowing where to put them, knowing what Scott 
you know, wanted these to look like, because we didn't really have, we had a few things that we could look at to see, okay, this is kind of like the style of the show. We can go from there. But obviously we're working with like different, you know, places. We're going everywhere, in town, outside, everywhere. So it did take a while to like get the style, but eventually it was fine. <laughs> That's so cool. I always mm -hmm. want to encourage everybody too to like look at our credits, look at who's painting, like look who does what on which episodes. And then it's so easy now to also Google and find out where else everybody is. And then look at those episodes mm -hmm. and look at not just the show, but the episode and see if you notice, oh, I see a little sliver of that person in here. Because, you know, that happens so frequently in comics and I feel like it should happen in animation as well. Like what painters do you like is a great question for people to think about and to try to see the individuality within the work. And I'm sorry to take over like this, but I have to know because I think it was a really cool thing. A lot of people ask us, how do you know what to do when you get in, when you start? And it is very trial and error. And even if you have done it before, it's terrifying. Like I was terrified to show run glitch text and figure it out with everybody. And I'm starting a new project. I'm terrified of that. And you're never not going to be. You just have to be supportive and allow yourself to be supported. But Rachel and Lisa and Molly, as you all took on these positions for the first time, like what was the most daunting thing when you began that, you know, you sort of eventually found your footing with? starting with Rachel May, just in terms of editing. Your Hugo Morales teaches you some stuff and then you get an opportunity to edit and how is that terrifying? <laughs> <laughs> or what things terrified you that you eventually- Share your fears, Rachel. Yeah, show, your me, show me your fear. <laughs> There's so many. Um, well, the first, like I started as an assistant on Loud House and I was just, you know, I was nervous, especially if anyone was sitting in the room with me you know, I'm new to this job. There's someone watching me over my shoulder. I need to like make these edits quickly. It needs to be seamless. And it's just, you know, now it feels like nothing. Now I think it's like, that's the funnest part is being in the sessions with everyone. But at first, oh, it is so scary. It was scary like to have anything I worked on, like be viewed in a big meeting room with a bunch of people and they're seeing what I did. And, you know, you have this fear that it's going to end and everyone's going to slowly turn and look at you like. Yeah, they're going to figure <laughs> out we're all a bunch of imposters who don't deserve to be there, right? Yeah, like everyone's <laughs> going to be like, we know. We knew. <laughs> we know. Yeah. Um, oh, and with Glitch Text, when I first started, I was so scared because I loved the show so much. I had seen these amazing episodes that the other editors had already done. They're so good. I never worked on an action show, you know? And I didn't watch like tons of action movies. So I'm like, what am I gonna do, you know? What if I'm not good at action? What do I do? And it ended up being so fun. Action's one of my most favorite things to like work on now. And it was just so much fun. I had no idea it was going to be so rewarding and so fun to like watch it back and being like, this is the best thing ever, you know? <laughs> so I guess the moral is like, sometimes the scarier it is, the more fun it can be. Just stick with it and take a risk anyway, even though it's super scary. But I feel like it's never not scary. Every show is scary at first because you're like, oh, am I going to get it? Am I going to do it right? Am I going to do this justice? Am I going to get it? I agree. I think it has to be scary. I don't want it to be, but I think it has to. <laughs> so it makes it fun. That's how you know Lisa. you're alive, Dan. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like Lisa, how about you? Like, what was your first producing experience? 
Well, <laughs> so it was actually my second because I came off of Sanjay and Craig, but it was my first time starting a production as a producer. And so like you have, like you're able to really get in there and own the schedule and the budget. But I think it was the fact that we were trying a different way of scheduling. So we had that movie up front, but also we didn't know what format we were. Like, are we going to be CG? Are we Unreal? Are we Flash? Right. Are we Harmony? And we didn't have a studio. And so as a producer coming in, like these guesses, they're just guesses. Cause I have no idea where this is going. What type of show is this? Is it again, CG versus Unreal versus Harmony or so that was a little bit intimidating to try to plan the budget and a schedule for a season of unknowns. Multiple <laughs> possible timelines. Like oh, I was like, what? if it's CG, it's this. And if it's 2D, yeah. it's that. And then even when it was a hybrid, a lot of people have spoken from the animation companies about the hybrid, but nobody from your point of view about then when we did start working with companies in France and the, and the Philippines, they had to adopt and learn this new way of doing things but also breaking up episodes mm. and and again these are challenges that kind of came about it these were unknowns at the beginning but I think that was also just kind of a challenge that I knew we were gonna have where you know it was an ambitious show for other studios to pick up um, everybody was really excited about it but it was it was very ambitious and so then when we decided that we were going to do like traditional animation over at this studio, but then we were going to send it to this studio and they were going to clean it up and then they were going to send it back for comp like that. That's where things can start getting a little bit <laughs> <laughs> messy. So I think that process was a challenge and made me nervous. And I mean, the studios we worked with were fantastic. And so that was helpful, but that was definitely a, a challenge. <laughs> So everything was terrifying about glitch tests. <laughs> but so rewarding. It was such like all the, and it was, it was such a great, I can't even, I can't describe it. I mean, people who were on it, like they understand, but it was, it was a challenging show. It was very ambitious, but it was so rewarding and everybody was 130%. And we all were in it together. We all loved it. We all wanted to make Dan and Eric proud and they were so appreciative of everybody's work. There was never a moment where you didn't feel valued or appreciated by the team. And so we just became this family. So as challenging as it, it still to this day is the most challenging project I have worked on, but it was also the most fun, the most rewarding. I growed so much on it. I learned so much on it. And I met people that I would work with again in a heartbeat. So it was like there's a good challenge and there's like never want to do that again challenge like I would do right. this again every single time yeah I've, I've been on a lot of those things where you're just like man that was not worth it yeah <laughs> and you're here like, not why? only was it worth it we we all like are all still in touch and finding out where everybody else is and want to keep track on everybody and help them be where they want to be and you know yeah, it was a great connection. I think being able to screen stuff in the theater was a big part of it because if you were having a 
difficult week or a bad day or whatever, everyone looked forward to the chance to see the see footage. And it was such a shot in the arm. It invigorated everybody. And even the overseas studios who got to see a little bit of what they were doing were like, oh my God, we're so down for this. It was just a matter of making it all work logistically. And that fell very much on your team's shoulders. So we were always, always really grateful that we pulled this off at all. And, you know, for people listening, a lot of you have been really supportive of the show. And I know it's easy to say like, you know, why can't Nickelodeon do this or make more of that? And and I always try to remind everybody, guys, every show is a gift that gets made. It It is unbelievable that we made this show in the first place, let alone in a unique way, let alone to completion in a way that you've been able to see these 20 episodes. The cup is more than half full, it's overflowing. And it's great, we all want more, us as much as you, if not more, it's our show, we wanna do more of it. And I believe we'll get there one way or another, but just be grateful that we had this experience. I know we are, that's what we walked away with, just saying, it's amazing we got to do this. And the weather changed a little bit and that caused that caused trouble, but man, what a picnic. Just enjoy the picnic that we got to have it at all. Never mind that we got a little bad weather at the end. <laughs> It's important for you guys to know. It's a rare thing. Every one of these shows you love is like a gem. So appreciate that we got to do it at all. Molly, were you, when you first were going from being an executive assistant to moving up, was that terrifying to suddenly have that responsibility? (laughs) Yes, but (laughs) I went from being an EA to a production coordinator, worked with Rachel on Loud House, and then moved into the network side where I was helping Dana Cuvarius, the EIC, cover Loud House. So my experience of being like a network executive was on a show I had been at since the first, or been on since the very first cart was pitched in a row. So I was like, oh, this is something I know. So then to be put on Glitch Text, where the first animatic I saw was Buds. Um, <laughs> Brandon <laughs> Brandon, and Megan had been on it. And Megan is such a force. And my fun fact about Megan is always that she was the one who was kind enough to take a general with me at Nickelodeon and the reason I have a job at Nickelodeon to begin with. So to get to work with this incredible woman who brought me into the studio really was a gift. And she's such a, it was my first time kind of experiencing the fact that executives can have different styles. And the part that was the most difficult for me to adjust to was creative feedback Mm. because it it took a second for me to figure out what would be helpful for Glitch Text because, you know, it's such a different show, it's not, it's action comedy, it's a 22 minute show. There are aspects of it that I wasn't familiar with and my story of getting, I I was relatively new to animation in general because I came from a long history of live action. So it was trying to figure out like, I give X kind of notes on Loud House, but I give 2742 QL square (laughs) notes on glitch text like it's so it's like not even apples and oranges it's it's like cupcakes and briefcases I have no different format different tone (laughs) different people everything and and different needs because it's like you know and different worlds because we did 
have like references to the real world in glitch text that aren't necessarily standard in other shows. And so there were just things to learn. And then when Megan and Brandon both left, by the time we were doing mixes, I was feeling very comfortable. But like, it is that thing where, if you remember when we were mixing buds, like I'm just thinking of a note that was given in that first animatic and I'm like, do I still give the note? Right, right. It's just one of those, like, this was the note that Megan had. It's like the, the ghost of executives past. But it was one of those where the second I was told 24 hours before we were going to New York to do our immersion with the marketing team that I would be going to New York to do the immersion with the marketing team. I was like, I took a bit more ownership and mama bearing of the show. And so I felt I hit my stride a little bit more, but by that time we had kind of finished writing, finished most of the animatics. It was, you know, but it was the show that I kind of, I feel like I found my voice because I went from being, as I thanked Eric for in the last episode, you know, y'all gave me my first EIC credit on glitch text on settling the score. And like that parlayed into me being an EIC and like learning what my voice was. So, so, That's so cool. it was, yeah. I kind of it felt it school. a little bit. I remember that you were very respectful, almost overly respectful in that like you were, if you had something to say early on, it was like, hey, I don't want to ruffle feathers, but was a little bit the vibe and enough to assert that you had a note, but like super, 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 like, I don't want to step on toes. I know I'm coming in late to this, which was such a nice it was so nice in terms of it being polite, but we also had no walls up too. And we were like, just, just tell us, you know, it's all good. And then, and I did feel as we went on, it was cool to feel that transition and know that we, you know, we all got more confident and we all got to know each other better. I think we all got along from the start because everybody's just cool people and there's no defensiveness. We all just want to make the show better. And the truth is not everybody can have a conversation that talks about things from all angles too. You know, sometimes you do run into people who are defensive, but it wasn't that oh, way. For sure. um, <laughs> yeah, it happens. You also go from like being like, hey, hey guys, I think there was a typo on line 47 to y'all would Miko really say this? Do you yeah, think see, I love that stuff. <laughs> I love those kind of notes because if like, it doesn't ring true for somebody, it's cool to say, hmm, why? Like, what, what, you know, like, let's, let's listen to that because to me, every person represents at least a thousand people and it doesn't mean you have to take what everyone says all the time, but you always need to listen. Otherwise, you're just going to only be doing something that makes sense to you and that's going to get pretty boring after a while <laughs> and predictable and all that other good stuff uh, not so good stuff Angela I'm sorry I no this is great I love this I'm sitting back going well all I have to do is just sit back and just watch everyone do their thing and chat it makes my job easier but no I love this too because what you're saying is exactly true especially about giving notes especially about getting feedback and listening because when you're creating things, you're in your own head, which you need yeah. to enable, yeah. you know, you need time alone or time with your writing partner, your creative partner, whoever you're working with. But then it needs to be able to make sense to other people, especially if it's something that you actually want to show to other people and that you just don't want it to be just the thing that you show your family during family reunions or whatnot. 
And so you need to be open to that feedback because just because it's that beautiful thought in your head, they might not know what's going on in your head. And so that's why, like what Molly was saying, like Lisa was saying, and Rachel and me, Jay, it's like, you have to be able to work with other people. You have to be able to show to people because you need people that you respect and people that you trust and people that are going to tell you, hey, like you said, would Miko say this? I'm not saying this to you to be rude. I'm saying this to you as a person on your team, does this make sense for the show? Yeah. And I don't oh, think yeah. a lot of, I know from talking to like mentees and students and whatnot, they don't see that aspect of show creation. What they see is, okay, one day I'm gonna create a show and then I'm gonna be in Hall H and everyone's gonna cheer when I get on stage and I'm gonna get to talk about how cool it is and wear really cool graphic tees and then it's gonna be on Netflix and it's gonna be awesome. It's like, okay, but you're, <laughs> you you're missing- Yeah, you missed the entire process of actually making their cartoon. And when that thing does happen, there's this intimidated feeling that everyone is covered that, you know, you're going to feel at some point more than once very often where it's like, oh, God, uh, should I know? Should I know that this is how Miko talks? Like, is she going to think I'm an idiot if I don't say like, well, of course, that's how Miko talks. That's why I wrote the line. I mean, it's like when people have observations, it's it's not for you to disprove them and show how you've got everything covered. It's for you to do the opposite and just, and be open. The confidence is that you ultimately get to make these decisions. You're one of the people who gets to make final decisions and that time will come. But for now, you be open. You don't have to have all the answers and it's no fun for anybody to think that you do. In fact, I guarantee you that even if you're nice about it, it's going to be an eye roll at some point because it just denies everyone else involvement. And it also denies what you need to be, which is a little bit scared and a little feel a little unprepared sometimes. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, just allow that, just allow for that vulnerability. You know, you, you have to be, I think, vulnerable to make creative stuff if you want other people to connect to it especially mm -hmm. you know if you want to be inclusive and that is the goal of this particular show we wanted to really be to reach a wide berth of people so we were open to a wide you know spectrum of input maybe if we were going after something much more precise we would have held to something more tightly but it was always a great opportunity to us when somebody would say hey you know i see this a little different can i talk to you about it and a man lot that people felt comfortable that they could say that uh, and that we were approachable. It's a better show for it because I've seen shows that did the opposite. I know people that have worked with folks who have done the opposite. Those are not fun shows to work on, to put it mildly. And sometimes those creators don't get to create anymore because people see how it's run and they go, well, yes, it's a good show, but you're the worst. We're not going to work with you anymore. So you want to work with humble people, vulnerable people, people that will listen. And that's, I feel like that's the better direction of the world if you want to get really philosophical about it. So well, I'll tell you, no, there's not really only good. more animation than ever. There's also, so there's a lot of opportunity and people actually are starting to have a choice of where they work and who they work mm -hmm. for, which is wonderful. And also after the years that a lot of us have been through, some people for decades or centuries and others who've only woke to this recently, life is hard enough, work is hard enough that we more than ever want to be around constructive and just 
emotionally open human beings. And so if that's not something you're willing to train yourself into, then you're probably not going to really function in the industry as much as that would have flown years and years ago where studios would do anything for some genius vision. And now it's like, eh, you're not worth it. (laughs) You're, I don't care what a cool idea that is. You're a pain and nobody wants to put up with your crap. So consider it (laughs) my best business advice to go and (laughs) broaden your horizons and be open to working with people. It's a collaborative industry. You could do what you want in your garage or studio, but when you bring it to the rest of the industry, you know, you got to work with people. That's why I like doing this podcast. Come in for the fun episodes, stay for the very sage advice. So, <laughs> all y'all, it is, it's always great talking to all of y'all. I love all these conversations. They're always so fun. So that leads now to where, where people can find you and where they can see all the cool things you're working on. So I'll, I'll start with Eric. He had to, to dip out to go to another meeting, but definitely follow Eric online. He's posting a lot of really cool stuff right now, like character designs and whatnot about the show and other projects. So on Instagram, he is at Robles. I cannot say it the way that he says it, the way he says it so often. Yes, it's like that. There's four R's. It'll be in the show notes. And then on Twitter, he is at legit Eric Robles, which is a great name, which I know that you helped him come up with that name, which yeah, I think yeah. is really good. I, I set up his Twitter for him. Oh, that's great. See, it's like, we make sure we're following the right one. <laughs> so yeah, so follow him on all the social feeds. And then Dan, where can people find you? And what cool things are you working on right now? I'm at Dan Milano on Twitter, uh, at dmilanoglitchtech on Instagram. That's really it for my socials at the moment. I've mentioned before, my wife, Krista Starr, and I are about to start running the adaptation of Wings of Fire for Warner Brothers with uh, Ava DuVernay, which is just an amazing experience so far. We'll have some news about that to share soon. I want to plug something for two amazing friends of mine who have a show coming out on Nickelodeon in another week. It's called The Barbarian and the Troll. These are puppeteers I met back in my days working on Greg the Bunny, Mike Mitchell, who also directed Lego Movie 2 and Sky High and a bunch of really fun projects. He co-created it with one of my best friends in the world, Drew Massey, who's an amazing puppeteer. This is a show made by some of the most talented people I've ever met and worked with. Uh, A lot of them came from originally from Henson Studios and the Chodo Brothers, and they're on their own doing an amazing production. It's fun, fantasy, 22-minute comedy coming to Nick. That is awesome. Looking forward to watching that. And it's on our network, so Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Dan. And then Molly, where can people find you, and what cool projects are you currently working on? I know the answer to this question this time. I can be found on Twitter at Moll Frylock. If you want hot political takes and some retweets of animation nerds, that's pretty much what my Twitter is. I am currently the exec in charge on Rugrats, which will be coming to Paramount Plus this spring um, and is awesome. I am very stoked for how it came out as someone who grew up on the original show and still trucking away on Loud House which the very talented Angela Ensminger is on. Um, <laughs> you know, just, just to replug. Um, yeah, and you know, I, 
dabble in trying to train my dog to bring a ball back. That's pretty much the excitement we're looking at in my house <laughs> these days. Oh, I cut my own hair last weekend. Ooh. So now I can also cut my own hair. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bonus. Achievement. What? Uh, Rachel, could you, say, could you say achievement unlocked as the glitch tech gauntlet? Jeez. Oh, okay, hold on. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. Yeah! Woo! Now it's official! Oh, that made ah! my day. That was great. <laughs> Uh-oh, I thought she's gone, but now she's back! <laughs> I'm literally in awe when she does it. That's so cool. <laughs> we were starstruck awesome. when Rachel would do that before the show even came out. We were, like, so in love with our own gauntlet <laughs> stuff, and, like, we just loved our own show so much that we'd be like, do the, do the voice, Rachel, do the voice! <laughs> then we'd, we'd all giggle just like that. <laughs> that is amazing. I love that. And congrats, Molly. That's a lot of cool things. But good job. Good job. The haircutting is truly the thing I'm most proud of. It is it epic. Was, yeah. uh, See. It was a lot. Hey, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. And then Lisa, where can people find you and what are you currently working on? Well, unlike the show we're talking about, I'm terrible at social media. <laughs> <laughs> but the old-fashioned LinkedIn. <laughs> hey, that still counts. That's still great. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and I just actually, I was over working on the Amazon video game New World for about a year. And I just moved over to Dragon Prince, uh, which is yeah. uh, seasons one through three on Netflix. So, yeah, that's where I'm currently at. That's Very awesome. Cool. Also, another quality show. All y'all are working on Definitely. Quality, quality shows, man. Good job. That's great. And then Rachel. Where can people find you and what are you currently working on? My Instagram is unicorns and vomit. If you want to see. <laughs> As it should be. Love it. So good. Mostly right now, just glitch texts and graveyards. So if that's something <laughs> you're into. That's my favorite you RPG. Your, yeah. You should change your handle. Glitch texts and graveyards. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh that's I'm a good one. I know exactly what they're game. in for. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, spin off D&D? Yes. <laughs> playing glitches and graveyards tonight mm -hmm. oh my god guys <laughs> <laughs> and i'm on centaur world which will be out you know sometime soon ish i believe i've been told so I it'll be on awesome. netflix easy to find Woo! yeah oh, cool. looking forward to that show looking forward to all these shows man good times good times and then miche where can people find you and what are you currently working on yeah, so I'm only on Instagram, so it's on here, and that's it. I can't, I'm not that brave for Twitter. <laughs> that's okay. Maybe that's one day. I'm telling you, you just spill random thoughts that no one cares about into an abyss, and then regret it and delete it several years later going, oh, why was I saying that pie was better than cake? It is clearly not what the case. What was I thinking? <laughs> Ice cream all day. It's truly yeah. hot takes. Yeah. Hot takes. <laughs> and then what am I doing now? Well, I finished up at Netflix. I had been working on We Luster Human. I don't know when that's coming out. Um, maybe like in a year or something. Uh, and then I was working on an NDA project. And right now, I don't know. I'm just trying to chill right now. It's overwhelming. It's been an overwhelming year. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Oh my gosh. That yes. is very important. So yeah, check out all those shows later on and you have deserved that time to chill. Yeah, Thank relax. You. Hit us up Thank when you, you're Angela. looking again, by the way. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Wonderful, wonderful. So all y'all are great. It's always just fun talking to you guys. Even if we weren't talking about the episode, it would be nice just to chat, especially this one, because this one, it was so cool hearing you guys' insight about this episode, about your jobs, about your journeys, what you're working on. Always so cool. Lisa, again, great to have you on the show. Glad you're here. And until next time, everyone out there, be well, be safe. And thanks again, everybody. Contained. <laughs> <laughs>